0: Let me add my welcome to the welcomes you've had already. It's great to have you with us this afternoon. And it's always special, isn't it, to celebrate Christmas. Lots of memories, lots of uh, happy times, perhaps in the past, hopefully in the future. Uh, we've got a little gift for you. It's just a little book uh, for, uh, for everyone who's here, uh, or guests. Please help yourselves. We'll probably have someone at the door to try and make sure you don't forget But this is a little book that just came out a few weeks ago by a friend of ours called Glenn Scrivener. It's called Four Kinds of Christmas, Which Are You? Now, if you like surveys, you'll love this, little survey to help you figure out what kind of Christmas you are. If you don't like surveys, don't worry, it's really simple, okay, but just a little book that we'd love to give you as a gift when you head off uh, this afternoon. Christmas is a season of contrasts, isn't it? I mean, think about it on a global scale. We have... uh, Probably millions of people in the world who are going to talk a lot about peace, maybe uh, do things to pursue peace, enjoy relaxing, enjoy partying, enjoy uh, taking a break from all the uh, kind of the hype of life. And yet at the same time, there will be hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people in the world this Christmas who are living in fear of terrorism, living with the reality of war. And for them, it's not going to be a happy season any more than last month or next month. It's going to be a month to survive. Think about Europe. Europe as a continent uh, in December will consume a vast amount of food. probably a vast amount of alcohol. There'll be incredible levels of spending, just an abundance of, of money changing hands. And yet at the same time, there are hundreds of thousands, maybe more, who don't know how they're going to survive the month the refugees and others living in absolute poverty. We've got the contrasts all around us. and Maybe we even have the contrast within us. Maybe for you, Christmas is a time where you watch the the little ones, the children, the grandchildren, and you enjoy it through their eyes, but at the same time, you feel a sadness in your own heart. Christmas is a tough time. And in this culture, we're not really supposed to talk about that. We're supposed to pretend that all is well. But actually, for many of us, Christmas is difficult because of people that aren't there, relationships that have failed in some way, and Christmas can be incredibly tough. Great joy, great sadness. When we turn to the Bible and we read the Bible's account of the first Christmas, we are, if, we're, if we have eyes to see, we can be overwhelmed with the contrasts that are going on. There are two books in the Bible that describe the first Christmas. There's Matthew's Gospel and there's Luke's Gospel. In Matthew's Gospel, the one we haven't read this afternoon, there's the story from Joseph's perspective. Joseph was a humble carpenter who was told about uh, his betrothed, his fiancee, if you like. She was pregnant, but it wasn't what he thought. It was because the Spirit of God had come upon her and she was carrying God's child. And so you have Joseph, this humble carpenter, and you turn into the second chapter, and you have these wise men from the east, a huge entourage of of very wealthy, very powerful, very significant individuals, and it probably wasn't three. It was probably an absolutely huge train of camels and people that came into town. They came to the home to see this little baby boy. It's a contrast, isn't it, from humble Joseph to the wealth of the Magi, the wise men. And when we come into Luke's gospel, the one that we've read from this afternoon, Luke kind of gives us the story more from Mary's perspective. And as we read it from Mary's perspective, we get a humble teenage Mary receiving a visit from the angel, telling her that she's going to have a child. And then in the, the second chapter, when the birth occurs, we, we have this host of angels that are dispatched from the throne of heaven itself, and they come to bring a message to who? To some shepherds. Now, that is a contrast, if ever there was one, between uh, between the, the angels from heaven and the shepherds in the fields. Angels, if... If you read through the Bible, you'll find that angels always begin what they say the same way. They always begin, do not be afraid. And the reason for that is quite simple that if you were to encounter an angel and the angel wasn't hiding who he was in some way, your response would be absolute fear, so would mine. We'd be petrified. They're huge. They're powerful. They they are these incredible creatures that are dispatched by God to do his bidding. And when they come, it is a frightening thing. And so we've got angels coming from the throne of heaven, coming to a group of shepherds. Shepherds were nobodies. In that society, they were really low down on one of the sort of bottom rungs of society. And the shepherds... uh, They were kind of people that you sort of steered clear of. They they lived out in the fields, they looked after the sheep, they they just they weren't the kind of people you'd want to hang around with. They'd be out there with the sheep when everyone else was doing the religious thing. And so they were considered almost like outcasts. They weren't wealthy, they weren't powerful, they weren't influential, they were nobodies. And so you've got this angel and then the host of angels bringing a message to a group of nobodies. And even the message itself has a contrast within it. The angel begins, do not be afraid, of course. And then he says, I've got good news, great news for all the people for today in the city of David has been born to you a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's three titles for Jesus. He's the savior, he's the Christ, and he's the Lord. You couldn't come up with three bigger titles for this baby that had been born. The savior, the rescuer, sent from heaven into a world that's messed up with all the sin and all the evil and all the death and all the uh, all that is wrong here he came in to rescue us from all of that he's the christ the word christ in in one language is the word messiah in another it's the word anointed in english and all through the old testament all through the bible there's this expectation that one day god would send his anointed his chosen person the special one this one who was set apart from all others to come and put things right and sort things out on the earth so he's the savior he's the christ he's the lord this is god the son who forever for all eternity had been enjoying relationship with god the father in heaven choosing to leave that behind and come into this world And so when Mary held that little bundle of flesh, we've had a a new baby born just last week uh, here in this church. It's so special just to hold a little one. And that little one that Mary held was the son of God himself, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so the message that the angels brought was a very elevated, a very high message. Uh, The the baby that's been born is uh, the savior. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. But then the angel says something that sort of goes to the opposite extreme. He says, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now you might say, what, what's, what's the contrast? Well, think about it from the perspective of the shepherds. They've just received the greatest announcement of all human history. And I suppose the, the temptation might be for them to say, Wow. And do nothing. After all, who brings a message to them? Maybe it was for somebody that they couldn't see. Maybe it was an announcement and and other people were supposed to hear it. But surely it wasn't for shepherds, not for humble people like them. But the angel said, this shall be a sign to you. And I think the sign here is really significant. He said, he'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, from our perspective... That sort of sounds like a clue to help identify the baby, doesn't it? When you go on your baby hunt, you're going to figure out which one it is because he's going to be the one swaddled up and lying in a manger. Because that's unusual from our perspective. But actually, I think that's not what the angel was saying. I don't think the angel was saying, assuming that you're going to go and look for this baby, let me tell you how to identify him. After all, this was Bethlehem. It wasn't a big town. He just said that the baby was born today. There wouldn't have been 10, 15, 20 births today in Bethlehem. It wasn't that they needed help identifying the baby, like when you go into a hospital and they say, um, oh, you want to see your grandchild? Look through that window. It's the uh, third one on the, from the left and back one. You'll notice there's a little pink ribbon on it, and that's your granddaughter. It's not that kind of identification sign. What the angel is saying to the shepherds is this, this message is for you. This baby who is Christ the Lord, this baby who is the Savior is not off somewhere in some palace, in some rich private hospital out of reach. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's lying in a manger. Now, to make sense of that, we need to understand kind of a little bit of the culture in those days. Okay, the, the people in Bethlehem, the, the poor people that lived there, including the shepherds, would all live in the same kind of house. The house was very simple. It was two rooms. One room was the room that they did everything in. They, they slept in there, and then they'd put their beds away, and they'd cook in there, they'd eat in there. Their whole life would be in this one kind of living space. And then the other room was a guest room. The guest room was, was there, and it was kept for... Uh, People from out of town when relatives came to stay, that sort of thing. So you have the guest room and you have the main room. Now, in the main room, at night, you would bring the animals in. This image that we have in our minds of of taking your prized special donkey and couple of sheep and a goat and putting them in some sort of shed out on a hillside for anyone to come along and steal, that is bizarre from their perspective. They would bring their animals in and they would lock the doors with several bolts. These animals were their livelihood. And they'd bring the animals in and the animals would be there in the lower part of the living room And there would be the manger or the feeding box where they would eat. And in the kind of quiet noise of the animals breathing and the munching on hay, there would be uh, central heating. I mean, there's lots of advantages. Maybe we could try it. To have these animals in the house, they knew they were safe. And so you see, when the angel said to the shepherds, you will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, you know what they would have felt inside? Not ooh, that's strange, let's go hunting for this child, they would have thought, oh, right, like we did with our little so-and-so, like we did when our daughter was born, like we did when our son was born. What do you do when the baby's born? You, you look for something, you put it in the manger. It would have been actually quite normal, incredibly humble, but very normal. And so that was the sign. The sign wasn't how to identify the baby. The sign was he is for you, shepherds. And so when they heard that, they, they left their sheep and they said, we've got to go and find this child. We've got to go and see for ourselves. And so with the angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to all men on whom his favor rests, the shepherds went off to see this child who on the one hand is Christ the Lord, the highest being that has ever existed. And yet that day he was born in the most humble of circumstances not a stable but in the living room of a poor peasant family why was he in there why was he born in that room and not in the guest room well actually the bible tells us doesn't it it tells us there was no room for them in the inn now the word in uh, that is used there is not the normal word for inn. it's not like a lodge. okay there is a word for that and you may remember the story jesus told of the good samaritan Remember that story where this man fell among thieves and the priest and the Levite came by and they avoided him. And then, and then the Samaritan, the kind of the enemy of the Jews, this other people group that live next door, this Samaritan came past and he picked up the man and he put him on his donkey and he took him to an inn. That's the word inn right there. And he paid the innkeeper and said, look after him and I'll come back and I'll pay extra if, you, if you've heard that story, that's the word inn. But the word in used in this passage is really the word guest room. It's that second room, either up above or at the back, that was reserved for guests. But guests were already there. And so when Mary and Joseph had arrived in Bethlehem, Joseph having relatives in the area, he, he would have expected or hoped for the guest room, but the guest room was full. So what would they do? Push him out into a barn Not likely, not in the Middle East. With a pregnant wife, you've got to be kidding. They would have been brought right into the living room of the family that they came to stay with. And so there in the humble living room, because the guest room was full, Jesus was born into this world. I I don't know about you, but if I was God, which I'm not, and if I was going to be born as a human, I wouldn't have chosen that, would you? I would have gone for the nicest palace with the cleanest surroundings and uh, and the best doctors, maybe a private hospital of some sort. I wouldn't have wanted to be born in a peasant's living room and laid in the feeding box of a donkey. Martin Luther, the German reformer from 500 years ago, said this. He said, people say, you talk about God becoming man. I can follow the idea... But I can't understand it for this reason. If a human were God, the way we are, we would never choose to be laid in the feeding box of a donkey. It makes no sense. We we can follow the logic of the story, but we can't understand it because we would never do that. We would never go that far. But God did. Now, here's the interesting thing about the guest room. The guest room that they would have wanted or expected or hoped to be in was already being used. If you like, Jesus was unable to enter the guest room. He he came to the people where they were. But the word for guest room that's used in Luke, that is used again later in the gospel. Thirty-odd years later, as Jesus is heading for Jerusalem... And he comes to Jerusalem, he gets a couple of his disciples and he says, hey guys, go ahead and look for this guy. He's going to be, you know, he gives him some clues. Go up to him and say, is the room ready, the guest room? Can you prepare the guest room? Because we want to have Passover there. Now we're thinking first Easter. And that first Easter, they had a guest room, same arrangement. We call it the upper room because it would have been built upstairs in the city. And that Jesus said, would you arrange for the upper room, the guest room, to be prepared? We're going to have Passover. And Jesus finally did get into the guest room. But when he did, he stripped his clothes off and wrapped himself in a towel. And he washed the feet of his disciples. Not what they were expecting. Not what we would expect. If this is Christ the Lord, why would he do that? He got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet to show them just what kind of God God is, how humble he is, how far he will reach. And then that evening he told them that he was going to be going and leaving them and going back to his father and he comforted them. But in the meal that they had together, he explained the mission that he was on. He took the bread and he took the wine. And with the bread, he, he gave a picture of his body. He said, I, I've been prepared for this and I'm given for you. And I'm going to go and I'm going to die on the cross. And there my blood is going to be poured out and the, the wine represents the blood. I'm sure you've heard of the bread and the wine that churches use uh, to remember what Jesus did. That was what Jesus did in the guest room to explain to his followers his mission. You see, here's what Martin Luther said. 500 years ago, he said, if you talk to me about God becoming man, I can follow the idea, but I cannot understand it. Because what man prompted the way we are would, would ever choose to be laid in the feed box of a donkey or to hang upon a cross? The truth is none of us would choose that. But that's exactly what God chose. You see, Christmas is about the gap. It's about the contrast between the wonderful perfection and glory of heaven and the mess of this world. And Christmas is not a message where we're invited to kind of get our acts together and stop fighting and sing happy songs with, you know, like you get in the shopping center. You know, and just kind of imagine how wonderful it would be if we could just be friends with one another. Christmas is not a message about we need to fix ourselves or we need to span the gap in order to get to God. Christmas is a message that God has spanned the gap already that he has gone the whole way, not just as far as was necessary, not just to the palace or to the private hospital. God the Son has come all the way to the lowest of the low, to the humble living room of people like those shepherds. And then to the guest room in Jerusalem to explain why he'd come to go to the cross, to die in place of people like you and people like me. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't something where uh, an idea had got out of hand. It wasn't some sort of uh, kind of example that he was just setting to say, you know, here's a memorable image. No, when Jesus went to the cross, it was God's mission to reveal what God is like. And it was God's mission to rescue us. To reveal the heart of God that he loves you enough to do that. And to rescue you. To bring you out of the, the death and the mess and the pain and the, the, the sin of this world. And to bring you back into relationship with him. That's the message of Christmas. It's a message that isn't about us getting our acts together. It's about God and just how far he would go out of his love for people like us. I don't know if you're on the lowest rung of society Maybe you've climbed a few rungs and achieved some things and maybe got a certain job or got educated in a certain place, but actually it doesn't matter because we can never climb high enough. We can never be good enough. We can never get our acts together enough. And if we were to talk with one another and be honest, what we would find in each other's lives would be a mess. It would be things that we're ashamed of, things we wish we could go back and fix and change We're not a group of people here that say, hey, we've got it together because we're good people. No, we're people that say, actually, we are, apart from Christ, a mess. Apart from his rescue, we're hopeless. We've messed up and we would mess up again, but we want to talk about Jesus because Jesus shows us just how good God is. Just how far he would reach to come all the way to the lowest of the low, to die the worst of deaths, in order to conquer death and to offer us life. Our hope at Trinity Chippenham here is is that each week as we come together and we look in the Bible and, and we see what it says and we think about it and we sing about it, our hope is that we will discover more and more and more just how glorious God's love actually is. And in the process of discovering how amazingly glorious and giving and humble God actually is, we find that our lives are being transformed, that we're being cleaned, that we're being uh, changed, that that the way we live, the way we, we, we think about God and ourselves, that all of this is gradually changing. And it's not that we've arrived or even that we will arrive in this life. It's just that we are really excited about Jesus and so we're really thankful that we're all together today and we hope I hope that as we go out from here and as we see the Christmas lights and we hear the Christmas carols that maybe we'll remember just what a journey Christmas was the great gap between the glory of heaven and the mess of this earth it's not a gap that we could ever cross it's a gap that's been crossed already Because Jesus was born. Jesus who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. And he was born in a humble, poor, peasant living room. He came to dwell with us. And he was pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. So that we could be with him.